Welcome back to hour number two of the program. Glad to have you with us this morning, this Sunday morning, uh, football Sunday, NASCAR Championship Sunday, and just going over a few things going on in the sports world. That Colin Kaepernick thing just kind of bugs the hell out of me. I, I, I don't see how you're entitled to anything. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not part of that entitlement community I, I mean i'm sorry i'm just completely against it whether it be Colin kaepernick or these millennials coming up thinking that something's owed to them before they do anything to deserve it and i sorry i hadn't just had to go off on that tangent but um has has anybody taken notice to what's going on in the nba uh i mean Kind of crazy stuff going on in the NBA, and one thing that for me tops the list is, is anybody taking notice of what James Harden is doing? I, I know the Boston Celtics coming out this season going ten and one on top of the Eastern Conference. They look like the team to beat in the Eastern Conference this early in the season, uh, but it's still pretty early, so we're not going to crown them Eastern Conference champions just yet. Uh, the Lakers uh, in the West are ten and two. The Rockets are ten and three. Uh, the LA Clippers, like I've said, and, and I'm not going to waver from what what I say there. I think the Clippers, uh, when it's all said and done, I think the Clippers come out uh, as the NBA championship champions for the 2019-2020 season. But what James Harden is doing, I mean, James Harden may be the best scorer ever in the NBA. Now that, that before you uh, before you start sending your text and your tweets and replying on Facebook or how or your emails through the website, which I don't know if I promoted the website, but it's www.sportstalkwithjim. You can hit us up there, contact us there. I, I read all emails that come in, reply to everyone that uh, emails me, whether it's a, a straight reply or I tell them. I'll talk about it on the show so with like with some some of the Browns fans that uh, were contacting me through text and emails Thursday night, but we'll talk about that. But James Harden, like I said, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I, I've said it before on this show, and I still agree. Michael Jordan is the goat, the greatest of all time in basketball. And you, you can't tell me any different. Uh, but James Harden may be the best scorer ever. I mean, everybody was worried with the Houston Rockets bringing in Russell Westbrook. How's uh, how's that going to work when Westbrook has to have the ball in his hands and Harden has to have the ball in his hands? They're they're both ball dominant players, and that's what makes them tick. That's what how how their games uh, have been, and that's what makes them the player they are. Now, like I said, if the the Rockets are ten and three. James Harden the other night uh, played the the Houston Rockets Rockets Friday uh, at the Indiana Pacers, and Harden scored forty four points and uh, on thirteen of twenty six shooting, uh, six of fourteen on three point shooting. Harden. Uh, Harden has a record number of 40-point games at this point in the season. Uh, through 12 games this year, Harden's averaging 38.7 points per game, 7.9 assists, 5.7 rebounds per game. James Harden single-handedly outscored the entire starting rotation of the Indiana Pacers. I mean, everyone said, how's this? I even said it. I said, how's this going to work with Westbrook and Harden? I, I couldn't see it working. Well, it's working. It's at least working for James Harden. It's at least working for Harden at 38.7 points per game. He's uh, just the second NBA, second player in NBA history to record six 40-point games in the first 12 games of the season. So... I mean, James Harden, he scored 44 points, which, like I said, equaled the same amount. I, I think I said outscored the Pacers' starting rotation, but I guess the Pacers' starting rotation scored 44 points. 
He scored the same or more than the opposing starting five, starting five seven times in his career. That's tied with LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan for the second most since the NBA merger. That's seven times that one player, and like I said, Harden's not the only player, but seven times that one player, his, that James Harden has scored as many or more than the opposing starting five. LeBron James, like I said, James has done it seven. Kobe's done it seven. MJ's done it seven. The only person to have more is Carl Malone with nine. Now, uh, James Harden has still got a, quite a few years left to play, so James Harden will probably pass Carl Malone on this. And, I mean, you go back to Carl Malone, the, the mailman. I mean, he's, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player. Of course, James Harden will be a Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer also. But I mean, it's definitely working in Houston. Harden right now, as of today, Harden's averaging thirty nine point five points per game, five point six rebounds, seven point eight assists, and one point six steals. Russell Westbrook's averaging twenty one points per game. Eight rebounds, six point eight assists. Now think about that. James Harden's got more assists than Russell Westbrook. That that I mean, you would think with Harden scoring forty points per game and thirty nine and a half, forty forty points per game, you'd think that uh, at least Russell Westbrook would be leading the team in assist. but not so much. And James Harden, it may be the best scorer that the NBA has ever seen. Like it or not, and like I said, they they uh, the Houston Rockets right now are sitting second in the West. And uh, I mean, I've said it before; I'll say it again. I think the Clippers win the championship ultimately when it comes. I mean, basketball is two seasons. I mean, basketball you you have your Regular season, which is 82 games, which with the load management and everything like we talked about last week, maybe that needs to be reduced. I mean, maybe the regular season needs to go down to a 72-game or a 62-game season. Now, that's not going to happen because there's money involved there. There's money involved there for the teams. There's money involved there for the league. And there's money there involved for the players. So that's not going to happen. So you're like we said last week, you're going to continue to deal with the load management. But James Harden said last week, we quoted him last week, that uh, if he's healthy, he's going to play. And boy, is he playing. 40 points per game playing. LeBron James, uh, Los Angeles Lakers, Anthony Davis, they've all said that, you know what, they're not going to – they're not going to go with uh, load management. But Kawhi, again, misses another game for the Clippers with a knee contusion, a second straight game. Paul George is back for the Clippers. He he dropped 37 in 20 minutes. So the Clippers, like I said, I think are the team to beat. The Clippers are playing this just like I said with uh, – with they with the the mindset that the regular season doesn't matter. I mean, home court advantage is one thing. You can play for home court advantage. They'll, they'll still be in the talks of it. They'll still be in the hopes of it after the All-Star break, and that's when they'll make their push for home court advantage. But up until at least Christmas, the NBA season is pretty much – Meaningless. Then after Christmas, Christmas is their big day. That's kind of when football's winding down. Football's coming to the end of the season, uh, getting ready for the playoffs. And uh, basketball dominates Christmas Day. So Christmas Day, you, you, you've got some of the biggest games of the year on Christmas Day. And then that'll lead you up through into uh, February with the All-Star break. And then a- after the All-Star break, uh, the Super Bowl's over, football's done, and 
Well, I say football's done. We all know it's a year-round sport now. you got leading into the draft. But for the most part, then baseball's starting up, and you're concentrating on the NBA playoff push. And the LA Clippers are concentrating on that going forward. The, the the Los Angeles Clippers, you can see by the way they're doing their load management with Kawhi Leonard, they're not too worried about their regular season record. So, but like I said, I mean, James Harden, you tell me your thoughts. James Harden, possibly, possibly the greatest scorer of all time in the NBA. He's got to be up there. I mean, he's got to be up there. He's got to be in the argument. Now, like I said, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying James Harden's better than Michael Jordan. I'm not saying James Harden is the GOAT because, as I've stated several times before, to me, in my eyes, Jordan's the best player of all time. But James Harden may be the best scorer of all time in the NBA. So somebody that is kind of worried about what they're going through right now is the Portland Trailblazers. Trailblazers are 5-8 and eight for the season, and I don't know if what they've done will help them out or not. Uh, I mean, the Portland Trailblazers signed Carmelo Anthony to a, to a non-guaranteed contract. So if I mean he's in the same situation as Dwight Howard, I mean we talked about it at the beginning of the season. Dwight Howard signing a non-guaranteed contract with the Los Angeles Lakers with his second stint with the Los Angeles Lakers, and what that means is the team can dump you at any time and they don't have to pay you anything. Now, from what Dwight Howard's done in Los Angeles, he's uh, definitely stepped up and playing playing basketball the way he probably should have been over the past. I don't know, five, six, seven years. And not quite the same form. He's an older player, but not quite the same form as he was with Orlando. But he's definitely doing his job and definitely helping the Lakers. And I think the Lakers are happy with that move, with having Howard on that team, as long as he can stay within his own head. I mean, let's, let's face it, with Dwight Howard, uh, part of his issues are – the mental aspect of the game. Now, he's had back problems and he's had back surgeries and all that, and that might lead to the mental part of the game. But Dwight Howard, all he's got to do is not think that he's actually better than what he really is at this point in his career. He's he's there to provide a role for the Los Angeles Lakers, and that's what he's been doing. And if he continues to do that, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers have got a chance to do something pretty special out in L.A., now, like I said, I think it'll be another L.A. team that wins the title, but they could prove me wrong. They're definitely putting the pieces together and definitely looking like one of the better teams in basketball at this point in the season. But the Portland Trailblazers signed Carmelo Anthony, and Anthony, uh, he hasn't played since November 18 when he had uh, when he played 10 games with the Rockets at the beginning of last season before uh, the Rockets let him go on November 15th. And it's been uh, reported, and let's face it, Carmelo Anthony, he kind of falls into that Colin Kaepernick uh, way of thinking. And it's been reported that, you know, Anthony, he wants to be the starter, he wants this, and he doesn't want to play defense. And Carmelo Anthony's not a defensive player. He just wants to shoot. And, I, I mean, going into this with a non-guaranteed contract with the Trailblazers, and he's got very short order to uh, to stay on this roster. I mean, December 15th, the first-day teams can uh, trade players uh, signed during the summer free agency period. So, I, I mean, by December 15th, if Carmelo Anthony doesn't prove his worth to the Portland Trailblazers, Carmelo Anthony will be out of a job again, but it's—I mean, it's not a bad thing. I don't—I don't think it's a bad thing for the NBA. I—I think it's a good thing for Carmelo Anthony. I mean, he—he gets a chance to go out the way he should go out. Carmelo Anthony was came into this league. He—he's been a star in this league, and I mean, at one point he was a great player. 
and he, you know he he still could show signs of that. Um, so it, at least this way, he's just not out there, and he he gets this opportunity with Portland if he can step up, keep, again keep his head on straight. It's amazing how many of these athletes that you got to say that about, but that, I mean they got to keep their mindset straight. Play the game. Realize you're there. You're not the star anymore. Realize you're there to fill the role. And this, either way, I believe this will be the last time you see Carmelo Anthony in the NBA. I think this season will be the end of it. If he does finish out the season with Portland, I think he retires. And at least he goes out that way. And that's good for him. He deserves that. He he doesn't he doesn't deserve. He he's not in the same boat as Kaepernick. Uh, he he Carmelo Anthony doesn't really deserve to just go away quietly he deserves a, a, a send-off to a point but I mean Carmelo Anthony like Kaepernick has done this to himself I mean LeBron James is a big fan of Carmelo Anthony they're friends I shouldn't say a big fan they're friends they're good friends Let's face it, LeBron James controls the Los Angeles Lakers. If LeBron James wants you to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, you play for the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James didn't want Carmelo Anthony on the Lakers or else he'd be there. So what that say to you about Anthony and his mindset? Now hopefully he turns all around going into Portland and hopefully he can play with Portland this season, uh, go out on a high note, and end his career on a high note. But that's yet to be seen. Uh, it's been rumored he'll make his debut with Portland Tuesday night. So still got a couple nights for Anthony to make his debut with uh, the Portland Trailblazers. Now, do I think he's the end-all, be-all? Do I think he's the fix for the Portland Trailblazers? No. But at this point, Carmelo Anthony may be able to step in and give them a boost, a boost that they need to get back into the thick of things before they fall too far out of the race. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers don't want to come in to playoff time as the eighth seed, having to play a Los Angeles Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers, or Houston Rockets team in the first round of the playoffs. That's almost... That's almost asking for an early exit, playing them three teams. Now, big story in college football this week. Uh, of course, Tua Tangaviola uh, got knocked out yesterday with uh, like a minute something left in the half. In the first half, uh, he'll be out for the remainder of the season with a dislocated right hip. It's also been reported that he suffered a posterior wall fracture. I don't know what a posterior wall fracture is, but it sounds like it hurts like a son of a bitch. But, I mean, Tenga Viola, it's, I mean, and you've listened to the criticism of Nick Saban and the coaching staff of why he was in there. I mean, Crimson Tide uh, beat Mississippi State 38-7. to so, I mean, there's no reason for Tango Viola to be in there. He just had ankle surgery, had that tightrope ankle surgery for uh, on October 20th. Came back, looked decent uh, against LSU, uh, looked good in this game. And the, the, Saban's being criticized why he had him out there. I mean, Saban's came out and said that, you know what, they, they wanted to run the two-minute um, they they thought about putting his backup in. Uh, what's his name? Mac, something. I, I can't remember his name. But and uh, Tanga Viola wanted out there. Wanted out there. Run the two minute. Finish out that drive, and then he probably wouldn't have played the second half. Now, just like Nick Saban said, if he knew that this was going to happen, then of course Tanga Viola wouldn't have went out. Of course you hold Tango Viola back, but these guys are football players. And this kid wanted to go into the game, and he wanted to play football. That's what they're there for. They're there to play football. They want to be on the field at any time they can be on the field. So all the criticism that uh, that Nick Saban's taken, and believe me, I'm not a Nick Saban fan. 
But all the criticism Nick Saban's taken for Tango Viola being on the field, it's unwarranted. Of course, you you don't expect something like that to happen. You don't expect him to go out and get hurt in the last minute and 48 seconds of the first half. I mean, if you could see it coming, yeah. And his helmet got knocked off, bloodied his nose, uh, dislocated his hip, and uh, whatever the hell a posterior wall fracture is. But uh, Tango Viola, Heisman Trophy candidate, um, with his injuries and everything, I'd say that's out. And then uh, one thing that, that, that may affect him even more is he's – expected to be a top 10 or has been expected to be a top 10 pick in next spring's draft for the NFL. Well, I've I've heard today and last night that certain executives with the NFL, uh, since these injuries have happened, came out and said that they would not pick Tango Viola in the top 10 because he is injury prone. Now, I don't know if that's a fair assumption on Tango Viola or not. I mean, a high ankle sprain, both ankles, he's had that tightrope surgery on, and now a dislocated hip. I mean, but still, you're an NFL franchise, you're going to put all this on a kid coming in, top 10 pick as a quarterback. Uh, you're picking him to be the future of your franchise, and it, if anything... I think this hurt uh, Tanya Viola's draft status going into next next year's NFL draft. Now, there's questions on what this is going to do to Alabama's chances to make the college football playoff. And going into this week, last week uh, Clemson fans were outraged because Clemson was ranked number five. Now, we talked about that last week. There's no way... Unless Clemson suffers a drastic defeat, there's no way that Clemson doesn't make the college football playoff. Their schedule with the ACC is that bad that there's no way that Clemson doesn't go undefeated. I no way that I see. I mean, it, it it would be a huge upset for any of the teams Clemson has left to play to beat Clemson. Well, so. Their fans were in uproar over last week's uh, top 10. And going into this week, Alabama's fans felt slighted. LSU beating Alabama uh, took over the number one spot from Ohio State. Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4, Alabama 5. Now, Alabama didn't see how Georgia jumped them in the rankings. But Georgia's got some big wins. And Georgia had another one clinching the SEC East yesterday, beating Auburn, beating number 12 Auburn. Georgia's beat Notre Dame. They beat Auburn. They beat Florida. And the the Bulldogs are 9-1, 6-1 in the SEC. Um, they'll be the first team to win three consecutive SEC title East titles since Florida did it five times. From 92 to 96. Georgia will be representing the SEC East in the SEC championship game. And right now it looks like Georgia will be playing LSU. Unless LSU gets tripped up towards the end of the season. Which, <clears throat> excuse me, LSU Joe Burrow last night again looked like, looked unstoppable. So, it, I mean, Georgia... LSU both above Alabama, and that's your SEC championship game. That's, I, I mean, I I don't see how these two teams are going to play for the championship, and Alabama's got an argument that they should be above a Georgia team. That one has played more ranked teams than you. Uh, two, the, the your biggest game of the season you lost LSU. So, and again, these are two teams in your conference that will be playing for the conference championship while you're sitting at home watching. So, all right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more college football. And I know I've been teasing it, but we are going to get into Thursday night's game because last Thursday night's game between the Browns and the Steelers, uh, 
we'll talk about that. But when we come back, we're going to a little more college football. We'll lead that into the NFL talk, and then we'll lead it into my picks for the week. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, talking a little college football, talking about uh, Tua Tang Viola, uh, his season-ending injury with his hip, dislocated hip and a posterior wall fracture, whatever the hell that is. Sounds like it's painful, though. And uh, how this may affect Alabama's playoff chances, college football playoff chances, um, with... Uh, College football playoff director Bill Hancock uh, told ESPN, if the, re- if the reports prove to be true, our thoughts and prayers go out to Tua and his family. As, as for football, three weeks remain in the season, and the selection committee doesn't, doesn't project ahead. So, I mean, all in all, it shouldn't affect them um, as, as long as Alabama takes care of business. Now, Going into this, going into it now. First, this week you had two undefeated teams. Baylor uh, loses to Oklahoma, and Baylor was up twenty-eight to three in this game, and Oklahoma came back and won thirty-four thirty-one. Uh, Oklahoma outscored uh, Baylor twenty-four to nothing in the second half. Uh, Baylor w- did not score one time in the second half, and I mean I watched uh, some of this game last night, and I thought Baylor had it. And the second half, Jalen Hurts and the Oklahoma offense just came out, and they looked looked like an entirely different team, and handed Baylor their first loss of the season. Baylor uh, was ranked number thirteen, Oklahoma ranked number ten. And with Minnesota losing to Iowa, uh, 23-19, the Gophers suffering their uh, first loss of the season also. And Minnesota was ranked 8 in, in the standings coming into this week. So the whole time I'm watching the game last night and Baylor's ahead, I'm thinking, you know what, with Minnesota losing and uh, with Minnesota losing and them being eighth, if Baylor wins, they they'll jump up to around the eighth spot and have have their chance beating Oklahoma, have their chance at maybe uh, a place in the college football playoffs. Now, either team coming in at eight, they're going to need some help getting into the playoffs with with your big teams ahead of them. But at the same time. Baylor with a big jump going in, and uh, I just I thought, you know, maybe maybe uh, the Baylor Bears could get it done. And and for two quarters they did. They looked like the better football team. Uh, then Oklahoma made the changes they had to make, and they come out victorious, thirty four thirty one. Now what that'll do to the standings uh, going into next week? Uh, you got Oregon at six and in Utah at seven. That both won. Um, Minnesota at eighth lost. Penn State. Penn State won. They they beat uh, who Penn State play? They beat Indiana 34-27. That game was a little closer than what I expected it to be. But they're nine and Oklahoma ten. So with uh, I say next week when uh, the college football rankings come out, it it'll be LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Utah. The top st- seven staying the same. Uh, Penn State should move up to eight. Oklahoma to nine. Uh, with uh, with Minnesota and Baylor both losing, so I I don't see a huge jump, especially in the top seven. I don't see I don't see where Oregon. Uh, like like I said, uh, the college football playoff committee they they say they don't project ahead. If somehow Oregon and Utah jumps above Alabama, then of course they're projecting ahead. But I don't I don't see that happening. So going into what is it week week thirteen of the college football season, and next week's big game. 
uh, Big Ten game, and it'll have an impact on the college football standings as Penn State goes to Ohio State to play the number two ranked Buckeyes. And that game, I mean, has huge implications. Minnesota, they're still still leading the uh, still leading the in a, the Big Ten West, um, but they're they're still a game ahead of Wisconsin. Uh, but they still have to play Wisconsin, which is second in, in the Big Ten West, and. The the Badgers, if they win that, they'll have the same record as Minnesota, and they'll win the tiebreaker, and that'll be that that'll put Wisconsin into the Big Ten championship instead of instead of Minnesota. And, and Minnesota Minnesota's had a heck of a season. I mean, you can't take it away from them. Uh, they play Northwestern next week, finish out the season with uh, with. The Wisconsin Badgers, who won again this week, uh, Ohio State, and Penn State. It, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is a twelve o'clock game. It, it's again a twelve o'clock game. I don't understand why. Why you, you take these games? That, I mean, that should be a prime time game, and they, they've got it at noon, a kickoff of noon with Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, in Columbus, it just makes no sense to me what college football does as far as their viewing. Uh, I know it's got to do with uh, TV contracts and all that, but I mean, you you want you want the best game played in prime time, and the uh, I mean, especially Fox is trying to rope in that twelve o'clock audience. But a game like that uh, for people such as myself that work on Saturdays kind of sucks that you don't get to see the game, but. With that, uh, number two, Ohio State, uh, Chase Young uh, will be back on the field against Penn State and Michigan. He, uh, Ohio State held him out. He, he's the young man that uh, received a loan from a family friend to evidently fly his girlfriend out to the Rose Bowl last year to watch him play in the Rose Bowl. Ohio State uh, Saturday well, Ohio State held him out of uh, last week's game against Maryland, and they uh, they applied for him to be reinstated. And uh, immediately, the NCAA ruled that Young should miss a second game, so it was a two-game suspension for receiving a loan from a family friend, which... I covered last week. I don't really agree with that. I mean, you, you've got the same thing going on with uh, with James Wiseman in Memphis, uh, to where he his family received a loan from uh, Penny Hardaway, who's now the Memphis coach. But at the time, he wasn't the Memphis coach. He was just a high school coach, uh, and the NCAA has ruled him ineligible. Now he played three games. Uh, while being stated he was ineligible, and Memphis Memphis disagreed with the NCAA's ruling on that, but now they he's withdrawn his lawsuit against the NCAA, and as of right now he's ineligible. And uh, Penny Hard- Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers have, have uh, applied for his reinstatement, but. Uh, Going back to Chase Young of Ohio State, he he will be he missed yesterday's game against Rutgers, but he will be back on the field for the big game against uh, Penn State next week and the season finale at Michigan for the Ohio State Buckeyes who are trying to go undefeated, uh, trying to go through an undefeated season, make it into the college football playoffs again, and currently ranked number two. So Chase Young will be back on the field for Ohio State at that 12 o'clock game. That bugs the hell out of me. Again, a 12 o'clock game on a game that I feel should be a primetime game, definitely. So, But another thing we got to mention, we uh, talked about a... Uh, Talked about Minnesota having to play Wisconsin at the end of their last game of the season, and that could be... Uh, that could decide 
who's going to represent the Big Ten West in the Big Ten Championship. Well, it will decide who's going to represent the uh, Big Ten West against who at this point looks like Ohio State unless Penn State. If Penn State can beat Ohio State this coming week, uh, Penn State would represent the Big Ten East. But I can't Wisconsin's going to face Minnesota the last game of the season. Jonathan Taylor, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers, he he rushed five thousand six hundred thirty-four career rushing yards this week, uh, passing Herschel Walker for the most yards through a player's junior season in the NCAA history. And I mean that's huge because let's face it, any of your good players now they don't play after their junior year. They're, that's when they're eligible to come out for the draft. Um, so, I I mean, Taylor also passed Ohio State's Archie Griffin for the second most rushing yards of all time in Big Ten history. Uh, so, Jonathan Taylor getting it done for the Wisconsin Badgers. Now, one thing on this is uh, Walker actually, Herschel Walker actually rushed for more than five more than 5,596 yards he's officially given credit for. Uh, Walker's 337 rushing yards from his three career bowl games don't count according to the NCAA rules. Taylor's 335 rushing yards from his two bowl games do count. The NCAA changed its rules in 2002 to count bowl games stats with their official records. Uh, with the regular season. So that kind of gives your players, since 2002, the advantage as far as that goes. Now, let's face it, the NCAA gets a lot wrong. And this is something else they got wrong. All, the, all they had to do is compile the stats for the players prior to 2002, add them to their normal stats. And in that case, uh, Herschel Walker would still be ahead of Jonathan Taylor as far as in the record books. Now, Jonathan Taylor, he's still got two games and uh, two games left of the regular season, uh, a possible Big Ten championship and a bowl game this season to pass Walker. And he more than likely will get it done. But again, what what does I mean? Who makes the decisions for the NCAA? They're just this is uh, I mean, we talk about organizations being run bad. We talk about uh, things like that happening, and we we don't see don't see how it happens in something as big as they are, and it's just a, a simple thing of saying, you know what. Compile, compile the bowl game rushing yards or the bowl game statistics with the regular season statistics for everybody, and that's your record book. But no, the NCAA has got to throw a monkey wrench in everything, got to complicate everything, got to make everything more difficult than what it needs to be, which is the moniker for the NCAA, let's face it. That, like I said, they get a lot of stuff wrong, and they continue to get a lot of stuff wrong. But Jonathan Taylor having a great season out at Wisconsin Badgers, uh, possibly, like I said, could be leading them to a uh, Big Ten West title, um, depending on their last two games and mo- most likely their last game with uh, against the Minnesota Golden Gophers to finish out the season. All right, so I teased you the whole show. And like I've told you before, I mean, I'm a Browns fan. And we were in uh, hour two of the show here, the second half of hour two. So we're going to go into this. And this is going to probably take a minute because I'm, I'm going to go into the whole thing with you. But we're going to talk about Thursday night's game. And now I'm a Steelers fan. I, I, I know a lot of my family... Like I've covered before, a lot of my family's Browns fans. I work with a lot of Browns fans because I work out of the state of Ohio. So I know a lot of Browns fans. So going into Thursday night's game, uh, Cleveland Browns haven't beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the last four years. They had the tie last year, and they haven't beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the last four years. But Browns fans, I've talked about how uh, good of a fan base they are before, and I've always given props as far as the fan base they are. And so every time the Browns and Steelers play each other, I'm getting text or I'm getting instant messages on Facebook, or now that I've started the show, I'm getting emails. 
So going into the game Tuesday night, uh, I got a couple people texting me saying that this is the night that the Browns are going to beat the Steelers. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I haven't talked a whole lot of smack uh, against Browns fans or anybody else's fans with what the Steelers got going into this game. Uh, we're playing with a backup quarterback, Mason Rudolph. And I'm, if you follow the show, if you, I, I'm sure you saw on Facebook or on Twitter, which, which, like I said, I've got somebody to manage the Twitter account, but I decided to go on Twitter myself and post that I, I didn't think uh, Mason Rudolph, at this point of his career, is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I also posted that in uh, on Facebook. And that's just how I see it. Now, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Mason Rudolph the third round, and the whole plan was for him to play behind Ben Roethlisberger for a couple years until Roethlisberger retired. And maybe in a couple years, Mason Rudolph will be a starting, quarter, a starting NFL quarterback. At, at this point in his career, he's not ready. He doesn't look, doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. His footwork doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. And let's face it, it, it was the same thing when a few weeks ago, I don't remember if it was, if it was uh, the San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams or if it was the game against the Cardinals, but everybody said it that Jimmy Garoppolo come into that game, a game that the San Francisco 49ers defense his did not step up and take care and win the game for them as they had been doing prior. Jimmy Garoppolo did what he had to do, did what is expected of an NFL quarterback, stood up, played his game, won the game for his team. Well, if you're if if you're a true NFL fan, not just a Steelers fan who's got your head in the clouds and and live and die by the Steelers, no, no matter what's going on, no matter what happens, the Steelers are going to win the game. Uh, you knew this was coming for Pittsburgh. For the last several weeks, Pittsburgh Steelers defense has has won their game. Pittsburgh Steelers defense, which I think is ranked 12th in the league going into Thursday night, but over the past four games, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense has probably been a top five, definite top five uh, defense in the league. So, but at the same time, you know, if you if you're if you follow football, if you're a true football fan, you know that game is going to come when your defense doesn't step up. Listen, when you when you're watching a game, they're not calling Minka Fitzpatrick, who up to this point in the season might be the best defensive player in the league, and you don't hear his name called. You know your defense isn't doing what they need to do when you've got a quarterback like Mason Rudolph on the other side of the ball. And, I mean, Mason Rudolph had a terrible game. Now, does this surprise me? No. And like I said, if you're a true uh, NFL fan, if you're a true football fan, and not just a fan who's got your head in the clouds, that you're diehard stillers, and no matter what, they're going to win. If you are a football fan that looks into reality, such as myself, I knew this game was coming, and I knew when this game came, now, I didn't expect it to be against the Browns, I'll be honest with you, the Browns have got their own troubles coming in, the Browns uh, played good against Buffalo the week prior, but I, I wasn't sure that that game would be uh, against the Browns. Uh, Thursday night, it turned out that the Browns did what they had to do, I mean, uh T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, uh, didn't have as huge of games as what they've had in the past few weeks, and uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. Like I said, I don't know that I, I don't know that I heard his name called. And that secondary for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have been playing lights out for the last four weeks, uh, looked a little suspect Thursday night. Now they played a late game uh, last Sunday. Not to make excuses, but they they didn't look as prepared as what they should have been. The defense on the de, on the defensive side of the ball. So with that being said, like I said, if you're going into this, you know, as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or any uh, fan of any team of, in the NFL, that if your defense, just like the 49ers, is winning you games, and your defense is the reason you're winning games, 
there's going to come a time, there's going to come a game when your defense isn't going to be able to win you the game and your offense has got to step up. Your offense has got to step up, do their job, and win the game for you. And like I said, I'm a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I knew this game was coming, and in my mind, I I knew when this game came, we were in trouble. I mean, I, I just, again, in my eyes, Mason Rudolph, and I saw something that was posted on Twitter that Mason Rudolph, his stats uh, up to this point in the season, his first six games in the season, which now seven games, it, it is comparable to the stats of Ben Roethlisberger's first six games of the season. But what Mason Rudolph hasn't passed and what Ben, Rudolph, ben Roethlisberger did pass in his first six games of the season was is the eyeball test. Mason Rudolph doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. Mason Rudolph's footwork doesn't look good. Like I said prior, he two weeks in a row, he uh, gave up a safety in the end zone. You, as a quarterback, you you do not give up a safety. You know you got to get rid of that ball. Now, in his in his defense, Rudolph says that uh, he'd rather take the, the safety and give up two points than throw a bad ball and get an interception and give up a touchdown. But with that safety, you're also giving the opposing team the ball back. So nobody's asking you to throw, try to make a play and try to throw the ball to uh, – into a tight coverage or anything like that. It, it, at that point, it's your job to get out of the pocket, throw the ball away, and go ahead and punt the ball. I mean, live to play another down. Not to hold the ball, give up two points, and then give the ball back to the opposing team. Now, Mason Rudolph Thursday night had a terrible game. He, he 23 of 44, 221 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions, and, the, and sacked four times for 43 yards, and a quarterback rating of 10.8. That's terrible. Now, granted, granted, you, you lost very early in the game. You lost your starting running back of. Uh, James Conner. Very early in the game, you, you lost your number one receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster. The offensive line didn't play great, but Mason Rudolph didn't do anything to help the team. Mason Rudolph, you're a starting quarterback in the NFL, and to be a serviceable quarterback, not a serviceable, but to be a great quarterback in the NFL, you these are the times you have to stay up, step up. These are the times that you have to ball out to help your team win. Mason Rudolph, I just don't see it. And the Pittsburgh fan base, being who they are, very early on, they were calling for Devlin Hodges, Duck Hodges, to come in. And can you really do that? If you're Mike Tomlin, I don't know that you can really do that. I think uh, Rudolph, his confidence is uh, is very sketchy there. But I have to agree with the Steelers fan base. Devlin Hodges, I don't know if it's because Mason Rudolph looks, if he's if he can't handle the pressure of this season being on him at this point of his career. Now, like I said, this is this is all this point of his career. He he may turn out to be a Hall of Fame quarterback at some time. He's I just don't think he's ready yet. But he threw four interceptions to a Browns team that I believe was ranked coming into the game was ranked 28th or 29th in takeaways and at least two of them interceptions to the Browns were thrown right to the defensive player. The guy didn't even have to move. All he had to do was catch the ball. And another thing with Mason Rudolph is you're you're throwing the ball downfield. It may just be me, but in all but one of the deep throws, he threw the ball downfield and coming out of Oklahoma State, he's uh, you know, he, he's known for having a big arm. He can throw the ball downfield. But it, it looked to me like every ball he threw downfield except for one, except for the one that uh, Holton laid out for in the end zone, didn't catch it. I, I don't know that Holton caught any ball that was thrown to him. Uh, yeah, he had one one catch for 18 yards on seven targets. So I, I don't know that Holton is the guy that you need to be throwing the ball to. But at that point in the game, uh, I think the Steelers only had three receivers that could play 
and we're going to get into that. But M Mason Rudolph it just looked to me like he was under throwing the ball. It didn't look to me like his footwork in the pocket. He didn't look comfortable. And while, like I said, I don't think I don't think Mike Tomlin can pull him out and put Devlin Hodges in at that point. I think if anything that crushes Rudolph's to do it in the middle of the game that crushes Rudolph's confidence. And let's face it, right now uh, you've got Mason Rudolph for Devlin Hodges, one that's got to take you throughout the rest of the season. Ben Roethlisberger is not going to come back in. He's not going to ride a chariot into the stadium next week and play the football game. He's done. He's done for the year. But there's no question that if Ben Roethlisberger can play after watching the play of Mason Rudolph, there's no question that Next year, Ben Roethlisberger will be the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe give Mason Rudolph uh, the more time he needs to play back up to learn the position, to get more comfortable in the position. But like I said, I do got to agree. Like I, I, You can't pull – I don't think you can pull Rudolph at, out of the game at that time. But I think Hodges does look more comfortable in there. Now, it may just be the fact that Mason Rudolph feels the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and it's up to him to carry this football team. And when Hodges comes in, he's he could just be coming in slinging the ball saying, you know what, this is my opportunity. Screw it. But I, I did have to agree with some Steelers fans uh, coming over Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, saying, calling for Devlin Hodges to come in. Uh, does that mean I think there's a quarterback change going in ne next week? No, I think Mason Rudolph would be the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback going into the rest of the season. Now we got to take a break. We're going to uh, take a break for these messages. We'll come back with our number three. We'll talk more about the game Thursday night. We'll get into the end of the game Thursday night, give you my thoughts on that. And coming up next hour is my picks on this Sunday's games, which we'll be starting here in a couple weeks. We'll be right back after these messages. What's up, everybody? Jim here from Sports Talk with Jim. Just want to take this time to tell you about some friends of mine. If you're in the North Georgia area and you've got some stuff you got to get rid of, no matter what it is, old furniture, maybe you've got a garage or a barn that just seems to accumulate everything, you don't want to take the time to load that stuff up, haul it away, pay to dump it all by yourself, you know what? Give my friends at North Georgia Junk Removal a call. They'll take care of all that stuff for you. Number 678-934-1344. Or you can check them out on the web at www.ngajunkremoval.com. You know what? When you give them a call, tell them you heard it on Sports Talk with Jim. 